Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. In this episode, we get to sit down and mostly listen while Gav and Vlad duke it out over the details of blockchain governance. This week's sponsor is Trail of Bits. Trail of Bits is hosting an event called Empire Hacking in New York City on December 12th. Hear from the best and brightest in blockchain security at this special one-day conference. Topics include transaction privacy, security usability, and smart contract testing. Find out more details, including talk, abstracts, and information about the trainings that they're going to be offering at blog.trailofbits.com. P.S. These guys have made an extra effort to keep this event affordable. It's only $2 to go, so you might want to check it out. And one more thing. Last week, we announced that we were starting a Patreon. Well, I'm happy to say it's live. If you go visit patreon.com slash zero knowledge, you can donate to the podcast and help us keep making this content. So now here's the debate between Gav and Vlad. We're sitting here at the Web3 Summit. We are sitting down with Vlad and Gavin after they've just gotten off a pretty exciting panel discussion about governance. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, Gavin, we've already had you on the podcast. I feel like you need no introduction. And actually, if anyone needs to wants to find out, I suppose they can listen back. Sure. But Vlad, it's the first time you're on here. So maybe we can start with you. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this space. Um, well, I got into the blockchain space when I was a Bitcoiner, became a Bitcoiner in 2013. And I got into like the Ethereum space. Um, in 2014, uh, in April, I met everyone at the Toronto Bitcoin Expo. Cool. What did you do at the Ethereum Foundation? Oh, um, well, I'm a contractor. I do research. I do research on proof of stake, on sharding, on proof, on consensus protocols. And more recently, you've been doing a lot of research around governance. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I'm super, the more the tech research progresses, the more concerned I would get about tech governance. You know, I don't want to build anything that I regret later. And so governance is like part of that effort. Because I think that it could all go horribly wrong. So as just mentioned, we are, you guys just had a conversation on a panel about this topic and there were some really interesting debates that came out of that i think to kick this off this conversation about governance i think it would be really good for us to define what governance means to each of you what is governance governance is about like the decisions decision-making processes like norms and other institutions for coordination that we use to govern or make you know like determine the future of our shared common resources like for example the protocol definition so I'd say governance is what changes a multi-party system into a moral person. And by that, what I mean is that if you have many different actors that, for whatever reason, find themselves in some sort of um, entanglement, governments, governance, I should say, is what is the 
glue that binds them into a single decision-making economic actor. It's what keeps people together and able to um, cohesively uh, make decisions with a single voice. Do we think that's really possible to have this? We do it all the time. Tell us how. Well, I mean, by coordinating over how we use our shared resources. Like, and, you know, for, like, for example, we do protocol upgrades. And those involve a bunch of, you know, developers making changes to software repositories and a bunch of people installing software from those repositories and then the software upgrade, like, kicking in. Uh, and this is all coordinated with a bunch of different mechanisms, like blog posts and the all devs calls and the EAPS process and the Ethereum community. But every blockchain community does it in a different way. Um, so I would say there's lots of ways how communication happens um, between the members of this multipartite system. But um, the specific means by which they, as a whole, make and act upon their decision. And this, this is an important um, distinction here. There can be ways of making a decision, but if those ways are not tied to the enactment of that decision, then it's largely irrelevant. It just becomes a communication rather than an action. So governance is the framework such that um, these, um, this multi-party, this set of, uh, of actors, of economic actors usually, um, can indeed uh, come together and, and uh, act as one. So what do you believe the purpose of governance is? Well, the sharing of common well, goods. The- let's talk about. Well, so in some way, it's the maintenance and like upgrading of common goods. In blockchain specifically, blockchain protocols have certain assumptions that need to be guaranteed by governance. And if they fail to be guaranteed, then they're going to experience certain failures from which governance must be used to recover. Whenever there is a cha- a bug that's discovered in the protocol, like we have to collectively fix it. Any, any kind of collective decision on our shared resources within the scope of what we call governance. That's the definition, but what's the purpose? The purpose is the management of the shared resources? Well, it depends, actually, because governance does what it wants. For the most part, there's, some, there's stuff in blockchain governance that we're definitely going to need to do, like upgrades, dealing with bit rot, bugs, just like maintenance that is like necessary just for the public good to exist. And then there's all sorts of stuff that we are like... Not sure if we want to do. So I would say that the purpose of governance specifically is to um, ensure that on the first hand, the system on which it is governing stays cohesive, stays whole. And on the second hand, ensures that in its external um, circumstances, which is basically to say the other systems with which it finds itself in general competition, it should be as it should win that competition. It should be as successful as it can in that competition. It should not sink into irrelevance. And I think um, it's it's helpful to take an analogy to the real world here with um, countries. So nation states, you know, nation states obviously have their own governance. Ones that don't have much of a governance tend to be fairly dysfunctional and the stomping grounds of other nation states well and and indeed there's um yeah there can be some um, meddling going on there and the countries are in natural economic competition with each other be it over balance of payments or simply over things like you know brain drain you know with it's uh the success and, and and um living standards of its parts of its population i think it would be not unreasonable to say that to characterize good government and therefore good governance by and large as a 
making sure that a country doesn't kind of split in two. Yeah, most governments like the UK is a very uh, notable one here with uh, Northern Ireland and Brexit with, uh, you know, the, the current Prime Minister Theresa May basically stating no Prime Minister, no leader of this country could possibly go with a plan that sees the country split in two. Um, and on the other hand, in order for the, for the nation state to... Um, uh, to do economically well, which basically means higher GDP, generally implying higher standards of living. Now, of course, there is um, there are other sort of potential concerns like Gini index and so forth. But if we take it at the very sort of basic level, where, where I think the analogy works reasonably well, um, then we're really just talking about um, how much money does the country have as a whole. Bringing it back a little bit to the blockchain space and uh, what you were saying, Gav, with governance needs a way to enact its decisions and that's not something that we've had in ethereum vlad do you agree that that's something that we that is desirable out of a governance system well i mean i i would i would say that we absolutely do have in ethereum governance with an ability to enact decisions i mean people mostly install the software that is put out by the all devs and the all devs has a lot of legitimacy and I think, like I say, if there were a critical bug found, that they would be able to, you know, assume essentially emergency response uh, roles and uh, people would enact their decisions. Although there would be a lot of scrutiny if, you know, they would definitely lose a lot of cred if they put anything sneaky in there. Um, but I think for the most part, yeah, the governance absolutely does have the like requisite legitimacy that people will implement the decisions that it makes when we're talking about non-controversial tech changes. Uh, so I think I think that really doesn't kind of uh, answer the the question. So I think there's this notion of legitimacy, which I think is is um, a bit of a red herring. But that certainly has little to do with the notion that the decision making mechanism, which I think in Ethereum isn't defined at all, should itself lead to binding enactment of the decisions that it makes, which I think also doesn't exist in Ethereum at all. And I think we can see the, the Ethereum, while it has a more functional connection between the two, uh, I think that's accidental and basically by virtue of it having a single leader that most participants in the ecosystem can rally around. I don't think the same is true with Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin has almost exactly the same characteristics as Ethereum. It has core developers, um, it has miners, it has a, a sort of a set of the ecosystem that really care, enthusiasts, uh, but it doesn't have that single leader. That's where uh, that's where it differs. And what we see is complete dysfunction in its governance. So I think the only thing that, 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 that changes between Ethereum and Bitcoin is the fact that it has this 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 leading figure. I mean, I don't know. I, I I don't regard Bitcoin governance as being dysfunctional. I regard it as functioning exactly as intended, which is not necessarily making everyone very happy. But it is what they they said for a long time that they were going to do. And you know, like Bitcoin Core has this culture of like you know no contentious hard forks, and they've been really doubling down and consistent on that over the years. And I think that that like a lot of the crisis of the legitimacy of Bitcoin governance, the way that I'd think about it, which is like what led to Bitcoin Cash forming and the big blockers rebelling, you know, doesn't it, it has to do with like the fact that people disagree about you know this this governance stuff, and so so maybe there's more the loss of legitimacy was greater in Bitcoin because they didn't have a leader, but I think Bitcoin governance works and is effective. I think that there are relatively clear decision-making processes at certain levels at Ethereum, right? I mean, I think there's relatively clear decision-making processes in terms of who has pushed access to every GitHub 
repo for the core repos. Every core repo has some kind of dev process um, that whether like someone has like there's some people who are well defined who have push rights. When you own a node, you have decisions about what software you run, and those are like real decisions. And we have like the Ethereum Foundation owning the trademark, and like when they decide like not to write a letter that threatens people for using the Ethereum trademark, that's also a very real decision. Now, the thing that isn't so defined is how these are all coordinated, right? There's no single mechanism that we all agree is going to coordinate all these decisions. Isn't that what governance is supposed to be? Governance is how we coordinate it. Governance doesn't mean that we have to have a single signal that we all follow. Well, I think I think that's exactly what governance does mean. Like, no. I think if if a country is badly governed, it will split and, dis- and disintegrate totally. into many different countries, I, I and the original that. country will no longer exist. Well, I mean, I would say if a, if a, if a country is badly governed, its government will suffer a crisis of legitimacy, and that may lead to it splitting up. But there's, you know, just because we're making collective decisions doesn't mean that we agree on the criteria by which we're making those decisions. Like the whole rough consensus model in some ways that we don't agree. But we can tell when the discourse has kind of settled down and when there's like no one screeching, like maybe we can go ahead. Yeah, so I think this rough consensus is also a red herring. I think it's basically um, trying to say that we don't have governance and we don't have or we don't have effective governance, which is which I, I take to mean we, as the collective whole, don't have an effective way of making decisions which we all should adhere to. I mean, I would say that we don't have, uh, for everything, a process that we can delegate our collective decision-making to in order to like save on the political discourse and coordination that we always have recourse to to make decisions. I almost It almost sounds often like... When you say rough con- consensus, or when we had an interview with Hudson, and he kind of talked about how he'd sometimes do a call out of like, who agrees, who doesn't agree, and there'd be sort of like murmurings, and it would be decree by Hudson. Like, he'd kind of like gauge this very, like, wishy-washy response from the group, mm. and then it, say, it, yes, okay, I guess I guess we're cool to do this, and no one said yeah. no, so then they but, did it. And but is when that people rough? do say no... That's is, a very different story. But is that right? rough even consensus? when one person says no, it's a different story. Yeah, I think that is. I think that. I think that might be rough consensus in action. I mean, Hudson, I think, is very, very mindful of his role and of his responsibility and his position. And so, I absolutely, I think he plays. So, and I think that like it is his role to like you know play this like rough consensus the game. Thing is, I think he, he probably played as well. The thing is, he at least on our podcast and in other presentations has stated that he doesn't really want to have that role. Oh, who, who does, right? He, I mean, well, we're de- very thankful. Thank you, but Hudson, here it's, for it's, continuing <laughs> yes, thank to, you, Hudson. you know, carry that But he's weight. taking he's taking responsibility mm-hmm. for making that decision. Oh, no, he's taking responsibility for interpreting people's lack of objection, which I think is rough, but also I think that, like, it would be a mistake to think that we can remove this responsibility from humans and to put it into process. So it shouldn't be just Hudson. It shouldn't be just Hudson, but it definitely can't be a program. So that's that's just such bollocks. Like, 
the whole point of like remo- of of ensuring that systems continue to work as their design as they were designed to do for doing like long term correct operation is to define things in terms of process. Our entire civilization is built on writing processes and adhering to them. Why? Because it means that the humans who are actually doing the mechanistic work, doing the work of administering, don't allow their own opinions to change what the outcome is. And that's critical because when you have someone like Hudson who's looked uh, looked up to as the guy who basically records the feelings of the dev call, if he is opinionated, and I'm not saying he is, I'm sure for the moment Hudson's doing a great job if he is opinionated then he could um, as the sort of chairman he could alter or uh, miscommunicate or misdirect what had actually happened and that's massively problematic that's why we have processes oh, look, I don't disagree at all but like the processes that we have are processes by which people can make changes to the way that the systems work we, we, we have governance processes that allow us to make changes to software because we don't have the ability to just build software that will like work and main in like automated way forever. We have, we, 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 we can't, the reason why we can't just use a process is because we don't have a process that can check whether Hudson's doing a good job or that can check whether there's rough consensus. Well, we do. I mean, this is what markets are for. This is what Futaki sort of put, uh, is designed to give. This is what um, economic games are designed. Like, it's so that um, the correct, the processes is more of a meta-process, but a well-defined meta-process that means that regardless of the um, specific opinions of the people involved, the ultimate outcome, because of this process, is um, beneficial to, in principle, the system in general. So, so I mean, so in some way, like even the market structure needs to be governed. Like we can't leave all governance questions to market forces. I feel like it's kind of hand wavy at best. I mean, there's actually cases where we know that that will lead to suboptimal equilibriums. Yes. So I'm not putting forward markets uh, can can do everything. What I'm saying is that processes are not fundamentally limited. Um, to things that cannot adapt. We can make processes that do adapt and can adapt a lot better um, than saying vague, hand-wavy, let's not bother with process too much, let's just kind of get along with humans doing basically what they want and hope for the best. I mean, I think that, like, you know, I think, like, the correct place is somewhere in between where you have, like, humans and processes in the loop. Basically, so that things that we can't write programs to detect, humans can provide... So one like the first sort of naive I guess approach of of this and that's been tried and failed in some cases is to to simulate Hudson <laughs> is to say that instead of having this person that makes judgments we do a coin vote and say everyone that has coins they can vote on what their opinion is and then we can gauge what the opinion is based on that what's the problem with that well so the only way to make that kind of like rough consensus is to do unanimous coin voting or near unanimous coin voting with a really high threshold and there's there's a number of problems with that but the first my first thought is oh voting isn't just by itself equivalent to or substitute for rough consensus if you have a really high threshold then it gets uh, closer but there's a bunch of problems with coin voting in my opinion and the main one is that it disenfranchises a lot of stakeholders that are affected by the decisions of blockchain governance because people are not affected by decisions of blockchain governance in proportion to their coin holdings because there's all sorts of impact that blockchains are going to have beyond impacting the price of coins uh and i think that like you know we need to like try to come up with governance processes that represent as many people as possible and going with coin voting, I think mostly because it's the natural, easy thing to implement. 
is jumping for a solution at a great cost too, too soon. You just said unanimous coin vote. Can you just define what that is? How is that different from regular coin vote? So like in like coin voting, normally there's like thresholds of like how many coins have to show up and how many of them need to say yes for like something to pass. By unanimous, I mean like no no's. Like there shouldn't be any no's. And so if you have a unanimous voting, then you know that everyone who has a coin is represented because if they didn't like the decision, they could block it. So everyone has to say yes? Yes, everyone that's has what to... unanimous voting is. Yeah. It's not very practical, people normally think, because anyone can block anything. But it guarantees that everyone's represented. But even if you vote no, you're still represented by your no. No, 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 no. Because like, your interest, just because your vote is counted, that doesn't mean that your interest is borne out by the result. Uh, but I didn't mean represented, meaning like that your vote is counted. So you mean, all you mean is everyone who owns even a Satoshi of Bitcoin should be able to prevent Bitcoin from uh, moving be, forward. No, I mean, I would say like that, that that's the safest model. It's not the most live. Like, it won't ever return any decisions that are contentious. It won't ever return any yes decisions at all. So, it's so not very practical. that's equivalent to Bitcoin. Yeah. And, and that's what... And, so and your r- voting system isn't a voting system <laughs> at all. Well, well, rough consensus ends up kind of being somewhat like that, right? Because like a sm- if a, sm- a small number of people screeching can stop progress. Which I think is a useless governance. You know... That's super. So that's that's the first time I've ever heard rough governance defined that way. That that is, if a f- like voices of very few could stop a process completely. Yeah, I and, mean, it's, and, I, you see it borne out, but it's just yeah, interesting and, to and hear it defined. It's really like that. cool because in some way it means that like controversial things don't get through, but in well, other no, ways nothing, it means gets, through. nothing <laughs> gets through. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> then, very I mean, if if someone Segway. wanted to, I mean, is that not just a huge attack vector on the entire like system? Uh, it's, uh, it's it, but it's an attack vector that lets you block things. It's different yeah, but what if you than are, one that lets you pass things what through. What if there's someone in the group that is not really on the side of the network and sort of just wants to screw everybody up so they can screech loud and stop everything? So here's but here's the question. What if what if what if the majority wants to screw the minority over? This is the trade-off, right? Like if you make it if you create a system where a minority can't block stuff, then they can get screwed by the majority. Uh, I would disagree with that. I think that's a completely false argument. So if you make a system whereby the majority can make decisions over um, the, the the desires of the minority. And these systems exist all the time, mm-hmm. right? State Nation states have it all the time. When you do an election and someone gets voted in, um, probably about half of the country, sometimes more, usually, um, more. usually more maybe, voted against the specific platform that that person got elected on. It's fine. It turns out it's fine. Um, the same happens in corporate governance. It turns out it's fine. The reason it's fine in countries is that basically people tend to move to the middle ground apart from instances where, you know, every 50 years or so, some hard right guy gets in and half of the people leave the country. Um, The reason it's fine in corporate governance is simply because you can sell your shares if you believe that the current leadership is is awful. And it's the same reason why it's fine in token networks. As long as you add in the ability to um, any changes to the network, the yes votes, the votes in favour of the change, have to have a period by which their, their votes are basically locked and the tokens behind their votes are locked, and a period where the no votes, the ones who didn't want the change, can sell and move move to a different network. And as long as the decision is only after the decision is taken at some point after a selling period, that it basically means that the no votes can never be screwed by the yes votes. I don't think that the voters are the only people who are getting screwed here. I, I think that we're really talking about like stakeholders who may not have votes or coins. Um, and I think, you know, but I think it's like, 
you know, really questionable the idea that you can exit because the blockchains have network effects and there's only so many choices of major blockchains that most users realistically have access to. And so they can't necessarily go and use something else just because they disagree. Okay, so this seems to be governance that is um, trying to favor the interests of the um, participants in a system that have no countable stake in the system and that find themselves unable to move to any other system. Now, I would say that it's a pretty bad thing to optimize for. It seems like a very realistic outcome that like we're going to be making decisions that affect users who can't leave, like as like blockchain governance. I really don't see which users they are. And you could, as a simple example, let's say Peepith is this new social platform on Ethereum. If everyone starts using that, like those users will not hold coins. They will, and now with the latest thing they have in place, they're actually given some Ether to be able to pay for gas to participate in the system. So they have no real holdings, uh, but they still have all their data in the social app on on Ethereum. If you know some uh, process is put in place that adversely affects these people they can't really take people with them unless they fork the network and then you have to deal with all that that means i think in a more sensible setup where forking is not the most serious thing ever and you need to gather up miners to support you etc that's fine but in this world where you know now to secure my fork i need you know this mining farm behind it to not be attacked by this ethereum mining pool that now we're into like weird territory. Uh, okay, so this comes down to the question, I guess: Should users have a veto right over uh, network management? And I would say no. I mean, I don't think anyone should have a veto right over network management. I don't think anyone should have control or driving power either. Well, I thought, I thought, didn't you just say that if you own one satoshi of Bitcoin, you should be able to block no, anything in I'm Bitcoin? Not, I'm not. I'm not advocating for unanimous governance, unanimous voting. Or, you, or even, like, super high levels of consensus. Like, I'm into contentious hard forks. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it sounded like you did earlier, but... No, no, I just think it's safe. It's not very live. It's safe. It's very safe. It's very safe to have, to use unanimous voting. Okay, so you'd agree it's useless. I agree it's not practical. <laughs> what if we... What if... Because we could even go back to that, though, because I think the original question was, what do you think of coin voting? We were talking about unanimous coin voting, but what about non-unanimous coin voting well i mean it, it, it is like you know if you're gonna do voting like for the most part people go with non-unanimous systems um <laughs> because they're useful <laughs> uh, and, and 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 usually um it's like a hassle to think about like what the thresholds are have have to be who shows up what the threshold is i don't like voting too much i like signaling I like people being represented without being counted because I think that if you try to count people, you're going to count people too little or fail to count people or count people too much. And so, you know, I, I think the best place for voting in blockchain governance is to get different stakeholder groups to signal their opinions. What I don't like is the idea that we're going to have a single mechanism that we all agree we're going to follow. Because I think you see that as like a centralized point of failure. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I can see this... Um as I understand that your point is is pretty much simply that schisms are fine, that keeping a, keeping the country together is actually overstated, and that it, it's it, there shouldn't be any particular mechanism in order to ensure that um, the nation state stays whole. It's it's more like we kind of want to stay together and we want to prevent breakups because they're a pain in the butt to deal with, but there are 
pain in the butt that we can handle in some circumstances. And so, you know, for some stakes, sometimes, like, we should understand that, like, we, you know, might be willing to put a stake in the ground and be like, you know, I'm going to split off from all of you if you don't go with me on this. Yeah, in, like, a collective way, hopefully. Because if you do it alone, it's not very credible. So I think that... um so just to be clear, I, I disagree completely that this is a viable thing for blockchains today. I think I think that there really does need to be a very clear um, way of ensuring the blockchain stays together. And if it doesn't, then governance has failed. But I would agree that um, in the future, when we have a means by which um, schisms can happen in a um, cooperative manner from the beginning, essentially a way of the no voters basically saying um, we will be bound to losing our assets and everything on this network, everything to do with us, we'll be bound to not having those assets there. Now, this becomes hugely complicated with the smart contract, so it's probably only viable for pure asset networks. And we will automatically move ourselves onto a new network with a new name and a new ticker symbol and all of our assets on there. And... In principle, you can do this. I mean, you know, it's kind of off into the technical future, probably like five, ten years so, from now. Do you think the cost is just too high? It's just like too much of a pain for us to do this right now manually? So what what happens is something like Ether Classic, right? That's, yeah. that's what we're capable of at the moment. And I think it's um, basically... Um, I mean, Ether Classic split off because there was um, a bunch of people that just weren't happy with the Ethereum leadership and they felt they could do a better job on their own. They, they were unhappy with the, the... I mean, there was a few factors, one of which was the philosophy of, of the of the sort of decision-making uh, decision-makers. Um, so they disagreed on a philosophical level, but I think they also disagreed with just generally having to follow these particular set of decision-makers and they preferred to sort of set up their own leadership with their own in air quotes here, governance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't entirely disagree with that, but um, I, I, but I, I think that like you know, there's you know, it took both, right? It took both like the narrative and the disgruntled people who wanted to establish an alternative governance, uh, like software governance. You know, <clears throat> Charles, <clears throat> um, <laughs> you know, um, to 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 make it happen, right? Because you need like you know, the big the big blockers tried to split off from Bitcoin Core a number of times. But it took a bunch of coordination and, like, eventually somehow, like, Bitcoin Cash happened. And Bitcoin Gold. And, oh, yeah. And but that's not really considered to be as... Bitcoin cons- Infinity. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but those are, like, very much less credible, right? <laughs> very much less credible. And, like, you know... Uh, and, and, but I think, like, this is a very natural thing. And I don't think... Like, I, I you know, as much as I don't like Ethereum Classic and what they represent, um, I think the forking mechanism is something that is good for blockchain governance. So I think keeping things together is good for the thing and good for the stakeholders. Um, And I think that the job of governance, and I I said earlier, you know, governance is there to keep keep the whole a whole. (laughs) Yeah, avoid it from, avoiding the pieces from falling apart. Um, Part of that is, part of how you do that is finding compromise. And a governance, a good governance system, one that's going to work long term, is one that can has finding compromise sort of baked into it in some sense. And I don't mean setting up um, a process whereby you know a compromise to a compromise creator is is selected and they create a compromise. Like, that obviously that won't work. But there are game theoretic mechanisms by which we can increase the likelihood that a um, a decision can be made that 
nobody on the network or sufficiently few people on the network uh, to create a fork are not behind. And I think um, when we start thinking about things in these terms, um, rather than it should just fork when there's a disagreement, it's a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I think I think legitimacy is what you're looking for, Gavin. <laughs> legitimacy is enough to prevent forking, and that's almost all it does. It's like it's just like it means that we've like agreed to do something in this like collective way or like to go with a particular like norm or process okay so if what you mean by legitimacy is is simply finding a course of action such that nobody is uh, such that a sufficient majority is happy backing it well the, the people who find it legitimate well a sufficient majority so the thing is in my in my in the instance that i gave um there there may be a minority that doesn't back it, that doesn't back this compromise, that still wants their thing, but they don't consider that the network effects as such, or the, the hassle factor is such that they're not going to veto it. Yeah, totally. Um, but they would still say no, yeah, they would vote against it, but yeah, they won't, they, veto, they won't they go, take their they custom elsewhere. Yeah, so in my opinion, they still think it's legitimate. They might disagree. They might even question the legitimacy and want people to, they might even want people to rally around an alternative. But until there's sufficient common knowledge that we will rally around an alternative or that we will delegitimize something, uh, it doesn't end up leading to a split. Like there's a bunch of work after you're upset to getting a split. You know, you, you become upset with how Bitcoin Core governs Bitcoin. And then you find out that other people are upset too. And then over many, over a super long time, you try to coordinate with them to create an alternative to Bitcoin Core. It's It takes a, a, a lot more than disagreeing or causing you know or, or or vetoing something to to delegitimize something or to create a legitimate alternative yeah so the issue is that these veto um wielders basically everybody in in the notion that you know no coin voting or no voting mechanism at all no specific process-based voting mechanism can ever lead to a um a change without um 100 unanimous yes votes um well that basically means that these these ve- every no vote is a veto vote and therefore you can never have this option of well i vote against it but it will go forward anyway because it's too hassle too much hassle for me to actually start my own chain if i vote against it at all in your model that you've that you've just suggested then it won't go forward there's no way of making it go forward mm-hmm. yeah although what you can do is question the legitimacy of that unanimous voting system and try to get everyone to agree to stop using it and instead, let's use one with a lower voting threshold so that we can get decisions through. And how do you make that decision? Well, through a political process. And I don't think that the political process is structured enough for me to tell you here. Here are the steps by which you can convince everyone to drop the system and use another one. You I agree. To- uh, do you think that, that it would be better if that political process were um, codified? No. <laughs> I think it can. I think we can use some tools for communicating and signaling better. But I think that like that process is highly unstructured and complicated. So highly structured and complicated. Actually, uh, so I want to dig into a little bit uh, a thing that in Gav's last episode we touched on for just like a minute, and that is the separation of like technical governance versus meat space governance and. Um, before we started recording we discovered like a third thing a little bit in between which is like technical like online governance but still off chain so with technical governance i typically mean uh, the mechanisms on chain that let you you know track and act possibly you know enforce uh decisions um but 
we've seen like from the Ethereum governance system that the meat space governance and sort of the EIP that this sort of in between thing, um, like you said, for simple technical upgrades, it works, seems to work fine. We can reach some decisions, we can make stuff happen, but for more contentious things, it basically leads to inaction. Um, but my question is where, um, to, to you, Vlad, specifically, since I've talked to Gav about this already, where do you see the role for this sort of technical on-chain governance versus technical like off-chain governance versus where do we just still need to have meat space politics? Well, I think that even with technical on-chain governance, there will be meat space politics behind the scenes as the people with the say have to coordinate around what decisions they're going to make. And so it's not like the meat space politics is going to go away in any case. The question is more about what should be in scope on chain and off chain. And for like my own personal point of view right now is that like given our current ability to do things with smart contracts and the maturity of the smart contract stack that like we should absolutely minimize the amount that is on chain or relying on that stack because the our highest stakes resource is the blockchain and you know, trying to govern that first with our like super nascent smart contract stack, I think is uh, not the correct way to take baby steps from small experiments to big ones. But uh, for kind of more philosophically, like, you know, longer term, the question is, what can we automate? And what can't we automate? And that it has to do with what programs we can write and what what we can write programs to solve. And I am not optimistic that we're ever going to be able to automate governance uh, of the blockchain because I think that it's going to, because I think governance is not just a technical issue. I think there's going to be discussions about topics like, for example, fund recovery, which are not technical discussions foremost. They're mostly like questions about like governance and the relationship, you know, and the processes by which we, make decisions and you know what we what kind of decisions we even want to make collectively uh and and but for now like let me say that there are things that are governed on chain fundamentally that i think will continue to be there namely for example the timestamps i don't think there's any way to get the timestamp governance off chain and i that's a little unfortunate you know there's 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 there there's a few other things today in ethereum like the gas limit um which I think I'm actually, um, I find it terrifying that the miners can just raise the gas limit at yeah, any time. It's, uh, that's something that's come up before and it's sort of uh, at the benevolence of the miners that uh, the network isn't crashing. <laughs> because or if- that it's that, or by the, uh, or, 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 you know, or by their mistake that the, that, that, that it's getting too big too quick. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, so far, it seems like people have played really nice politics around the block size. But so, um, like in Substrate, there is a mechanism to you know provide the runtime in a in a binary format WebAssembly that can run cross-platform, and so you can store that on chain, and then you can have you know some some voting system, whatever system you want, around how to upgrade that. So clearly, like that is just um, like a mechanical improvement, rather than you know we trust that the developers correctly implement all of this on their nodes, and uh, you know everyone, all the miners upgrade, et cetera, et cetera. You can just do this mechanical thing. Yeah, it's on like chain. it's like an automatic upgrade mechanism, like a up- upgrade, a software upgrade 
publishing and upgrade mechanism. Yeah. So if you wanted to model like the Ethereum governance system in Substrate, you would just give all the core devs a uh, vote each. And then if it's unanimous vote, well, then no. this is you the new use, proposal. You would just use an oracle to, 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 to give you the new software for like the latest releases for all the implementations, no? Yeah, that would be one way to do it as well. Yeah, Because like right now they don't have votes and they don't vote. And so you might have a different outcome. Didn't but the oracle say- would never would never lie. The oracle is Hudson. <laughs> uh, I mean, so, you know, that's that's actually pretty much the software that I wrote with the upgrading um, with the upgrading contract. So each of the dev teams could basically state, this is our latest release, and then they could use that in order to grab, uh, their clients could use that in order to grab the latest release and upgrade. But didn't you just say that Hudson was the... Uh, uh, was actually the sort of source of truth and that the no. dev teams weren't no no i didn't mean that the oracle was hudson okay i was like a hypothetical i think we've touched on this but we haven't really dug into it that is like who are the stakeholders actually who do you define as a stakeholder i basically think of anyone who's impacted by blockchain governance decisions as a stakeholder Okay, so the U.S. government is fairly heavily impacted by blockchain governance. Yes, I think, uh, so I think that they're a stakeholder that is significantly potentially potentially significantly impacted by blockchain technology, and they should be very much aware of what's going on. Oh no, but this isn't about awareness. This is about governance. So yeah, they should be able to veto. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that any anyone who's impacted by blockchain governance should be able to veto decisions. I haven't said that. So the second part of this, I guess, then is. Who are the stakeholders and do we care about that particular stakeholder well, in our governance process? Well, I think that like, you know, we should seek to represent all stakeholders, but we also need to acknowledge that there are trade-offs between the interests of stakeholder groups and that there's not not everyone is going to be a winner on every decision and that it's going to be contentious sometimes because people don't necessarily agree and a lot of, and, but a lot of the times for now, we're still early days, a lot of people who are affected by the decisions don't even show up and don't know what their interests are. Uh, and that makes it quite relatively challenging because it's very likely that stakeholders who are going to show up tomorrow aren't being represented today and are going to be upset with decisions we make today. Uh, at least if governance is, uh, you know, at least, at least if we make decisions that have the service precedence and uh, have consequences down the line. Um, so I believe that nobody is born into a blockchain and is unable to leave that ecosystem. And therefore I believe that there is no reason to state that users should have users who hold no tokens, therefore no stake in that uh, system, should have any ability to decide on the future of that. So, as a Facebook user, I should not be able to tell Mark Zuckerberg how to run his company. My influence as a Facebook user over Facebook is the ability to not use Facebook. That's yeah. that's all and it I mean, comes like, down to. I don't think that people found that very satisfying. I mean, like, I don't think that like GDPR would really even exist if, say, for example, Facebook and all these different companies instead decided, look, our users get to govern how we use their data. Uh, and the reason why we have GDPR is because, like, they, like, you know, like, in, like, at least, like, a bunch of Europeans decided that they wanted to have more control of their data and in a way that Facebook wasn't granting them. And I think that the fact that you can't opt out was one of the main drivers behind this regulation. I would contend that you can opt out. 
you merely do not use Facebook. I mean, that's much harder and less practical than I think you make it seem. It's much easier to not use Facebook than to leave your nation state. But it's a lot harder than to not hang out with like one person you don't like or to opt out of a, a social arrangement that you're not a fan of. You may also, uh, you can opt out of Facebook, but you have no impact on how it will impact the larger society. Yeah, but I, I, the, how it impacts the larger society is not my business to be um, changing, right? I, I believe in individual freedoms, and I believe that my individual freedom runs as far as myself and my security. It does not run as far as dictating how Vlad should use his information and whether Mark Zuckerberg should be able to um, give him uh, targeted advertising. Of course, but we do have like some extent to which social media and which blockchains now are going to be part of like a public commons that like are not just uh, anyone's property, but are, you know, affect many stakeholders and have many, well, in the, in the case of like corporations, they have many owners in the case of blockchains, like, you know, we do coin voting, they're going to have many owners. Um, We're going to have, you know, this is like, it's not really uh, just about private property. It's not. I don't. I, don't, I think that like there's the, uh, a shared property situation that like all these governance problems are about. Um, so I think that comparing blockchains to nation states is very romantic, but also flawed. I think blockchains are much better compared to uh, corporations, and that's why I think that a corporate governance model uh, works perfectly well. Um, I think that like you know that's very questionable and I like definitely would not like to see all of the block all the applications on the blockchain being governed indirectly by corporate governance model like I think a lot of people want to build organizations that don't follow a corporate governance model and anything that governs the blockchain governs all the applications on the blockchain so I'm perfectly happy with um, dapps um, and even blockchains building their own non-corporate governance based governance model um, I think there'll be all sorts of interesting experiments going on there but if we're coming down to what is governance and what is good governance then I believe that um, at the moment for most blockchains which are economic systems with a token that is traded on a market and with users that have a perfectly uh, uh, easy ability to move between um, systems um, then uh, Good governance is more or less the same as uh, corporate governance. Yeah, I mean, I really question the ease of transition. I think that the network effects are real. And I think that's probably, you know, why you want to keep the corporation together so much is because the, you know, there, there are going to be like a few major blockchains. And there's not going to be that. I don't think there's going to be that many. And I don't think you have that many choices. You know, you have basically like a whole bunch of really illiquid coins and most of them are really, really terribly illiquid and only a few of them are that useful. You know, it doesn't take long to figure out what blockchains people are actually using. Uh, Sure, but I think in the case of um, bad governance, bad enough to make a significant proportion of its user base want to move elsewhere. And some would say that Facebook, you know, in terms of how it uses its users' data, um, may well be um, placed as sort of bad governance. Um, With blockchains, we can fork the blockchain. I mean, open source blockchains, at yeah, least. Yeah, and I think that that is totally, totally helps, but doesn't mean that we need to, that we can just like reduce uh, or think about blockchain governance as corporate governance, because like there's a lot of the governance principles that like go, or like that are like useful for governing commons that are, you know, going to help maintain the legitimacy and stop the splitting of these blockchains. So 
So, for example, if you like, if you think <clears throat> that stopping splitting is a good thing and that you might make users upset by doing something, um, so I guess what you're saying is you think that the corporate governance by itself will will do what's good for the users to stop splitting. By and large, yes, because it's ultimately in the interests of the corporation to have yeah. um, users think, and make the yeah, users happy. But there's that barrier to entry, and they're going to push the users to that discomfort level where they're just at the edge. They're not enough to just screw them enough to get the value out, but just not so much that they're willing to leave. Perhaps, but there's no, um, a, a, at least current blockchains, the blockchains in my sort of, in the standard sort of cryptocurrency uh, model with um, low barriers to holding uh, tokens uh, will just mean that users that have you know significant economic power can become token holders and can influence the governance um, in a way that you know benefits them. Yeah, but all the other users won't. If a sufficiently large amount of users, in terms of their economic weighting, uh, want to um, alter a blockchain in order to make it better for them, then they will. They will just buy tokens. But they should be forced to buy tokens. But they might not have the money to buy tokens. I mean, the there's a power law distribution of wealth outside and inside the blockchain space. Like, there's a lot of people who are looking to blockchain as a source of emancipation or, like, you know, freedom from, like, oppression, but they don't have a lot of money. So, yeah, in principle, those users can, can if they gather together and it turns out that they can form a consensus, um, they only need to do it once in order to move on to a new blockchain that doesn't have the um, the higher powers and their uh, their distribution. And that said, I still, I, I would still contend that blockchains can have um, internal mechanisms that alters the distribution of capital such that users that are actually useful like can be recognized as being useful um can have uh, capital redistributed to them within the chain's environment so yeah, that they can they start ever making decisions a whale? This there is, ever be a whale though gavin this is what i want to ask a question about so you're talking about stakeholders only as coin holders or token holders but i also know that there's been discussion around those who contribute versus those who don't the speculators versus the people who are actually building the thing do, do you see a distinction between that no, coin yeah. holders still contribute. They contribute capital. Yeah, I think that like there's diff, diff there are different kinds of participants. Um, you know, I think I think coin holders contribute to some extent, but I certainly don't ever want to answer to coin holders or work for coin holders or you know for be, be associated <laughs> with a blockchain that's owned by coin holders. Um, you know, I, I think it's like not like I think coin holders are like you know an equal part of the community. I don't think that they are particularly special relative to say any other stakeholder interest group. Who isn't a stakeholder? Who isn't a stakeholder? That's a good question. It, 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 if you use my definition, it's pretty hard to find someone. <laughs> Anyone who's, who's ever heard no, of no. cryptocurrency is Going a stakeholder. Going to be potentially no, affected by it. <laughs> yeah. So like, they're not even born butterfly yet, and they might be stakeholders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why that's the issue with this definition is the butterfly effect. You know? But uh, the more immediate of a stakeholder you are, the you know, the like feels more real, right? Uh, the, the more you should be able to influence the direction right mm, the more you're going to be concerned with the direction and the more that you're incentivized to become a participant um what's the difference between a participant and a stakeholder a participant actually engages in behavior to try to influence blockchain governance outcomes and how do they do that without a specified process in place for example by participating in politics but you politics, remember what you just talked about like you just talked about you just talked about specific these people processes. coordinating to form consensus to fork 
Like to me, that's very much participating blockchain governance, and very much didn't require that they have a process. They just need. I mean, in some way, if everything is information, it's all process all the way down. But that doesn't mean that there is like a single process that they use to do politics. They've got all sorts of different processes where they and you check think all their different apps. Or so you think it's fine to fork? It's there's no real um, need of governance. No, I think that uh, in order to keep things think, together no, and find compromises. No, because I think that they're because forking is hard. We we need to have, and because forking actually has costs, and because we do want to all be together, having legitimate governance that doesn't split is a desirable thing. And I think everyone wants this, and I think people are willing to accept outcomes that they don't want mm-hmm. in order to be together. Which is why I think that the governance mechanism needs to have a, a more than just the consent slash opt in as a source of legitimacy. I think it needs to have significantly more because I think people don't want to leave. Do you think? This is actually mostly to you, because I think I know your answer, but (laughs) do you think that Ethereum governance is okay, or do you think it's broken? I think it's okay. I mean, if those are the two options, um, (laughs) I think that, like, Ethereum governance needs a lot of work. I think it's very nascent. I don't think it's broken. I don't think we should give up. I don't think we should think that it is beyond repair if there's anything wrong with it. I think that, like, I, I just think it's nascent and immature. I think that there's a lot of issues that we're going to run into in the future that we haven't run into yet and that we therefore don't have the ability to deal with. I think we can see a lot of these issues coming, and I think we should have and need to have a lot of conversation and governance, you know, both on level of, like, you know, politics and participation in, like, gover- existing governance processes. And I think we need probably to establish new governance processes. Uh, so I think there's a lot of work to do. But I don't think it's broken. I think there's still... I have lots of hope for Ethereum governance. What percentage do you give it at um, present? Rate um, it. I, I, I actually... So, you know, I, I give the participants in governance a very high score relative to the observers. I find that the, like, a level... Like, the people participating on, like, a more of, like, a politics and shitposting level are doing a much poorer job than people participating day-to-day uh, on the ground floor, like on the EAPs and the Altevs and stuff like that. Gavin, even though I didn't give you the chance to weigh in, I now want to actually hear your take. Ethereum governance as it stands, okay or broken? So I'm, I, I would sort of echo Vlad. I think that many of the people on the floor are um, well-intentioned. I think some of them are misguided. Um, I think there's some uncertainty and fear that is... Um, that is circulating and and that largely comes from like some naivety and uh, it's a shame that that we have people in um, relatively substantial positions of authority because processes were not in place and they've just happened to have this authority dumped on them Um, and they're not necessarily the most well-informed and um, and canny people to be able to handle this uh, weight of uh, responsibility. But that said, I think I think people on the floor do tend to be well-intentioned. And uh, I think it's massively unfortunate that um, the governance at this point basically seems to boil down to uh, the desire of one or two key people in the ecosystem not wanting to be... F- uh, not wanting to feel unpopular on social media. I think social media has way too much of a, um, a throat grip on um, the ability or lack thereof to make decisions. And I think that a 
set of processes um, away from um, this, you know, terrible um, social media gaming that we're seeing would, uh, you know, would substantially improve um, governance. And by this, I don't necessarily mean that we're going to come to decisions that I personally like, but we will at least come to some decisions and there will be a means of tracing why and who voted or, uh, or you know, at least why those decisions uh, were made the way that they were. There will be a process to feel hard done by rather than just a nebulous vacuum of, of voices um, to uh, to get annoyed and upset with. I would say, yeah, like for Ethereum in particular, I think it's doing fine. But um, what I'm worried about, especially going forward, is that we'll get into a place where inaction is the default and we just can't get anything done. And I think that's fueled in part by why you, what you were just saying that like even I, like when I'm on the all core dev call, it's like I might have a like weak opinion on something, but I'm not going to say that because i will one get trolled everywhere and two uh it's like i don't care that much about it like yeah yeah i think this would be better but i'm not gonna raise my voice because you know maybe someone actually has a strong opinion and knows more than me um so i think like all of this together sort of just yields like no result that's like what happened in uh progpow uh where everyone was like yeah some sounds like a good deal like good presentation thank you very much why not but it's a lot of work do we need to do this work uh i don't know and then it just nothing happened of, of it yeah but th- th- we also have no notion that just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen in the future like there's no there's never any time at which Kordev says we'll never table this we'll never see we'll never see this again on the agenda you know, so it could always come back. Like, you know, for sure, there's no which Progpile has now yeah, done. But it seems like it will. I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't keep bringing it up. Um, but uh, I, th- I think, you know, I think that the definitely this gridlock is a very real outcome, and this is one of the reasons why I think, like, you know, contentious hard forks are awesome, and we sh- and there are like hills that we should be willing to do contentious hard forks on. What? role does transparency have in a governance system like i was just saying a little bit before it's like it's it's if there's a transparent process and i can see what the votes are and i can see who to be pissed off at in some ways i'm more likely to accept this and just uh fuck this guy and then keep going with your life whereas if it's completely opaque then i don't know what's going on maybe i don't feel represented at all etc so what what is the role of transparency in governance well it's complicated uh, for a couple of reasons. One of them is that okay, when when people are um, when, when 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 people can be held to account for the decisions they make, they make different decisions. And if and and so like for example, when you do of paper ballot voting versus voting with when you can tell who's voting, it's much easier to capture a system where you can tell when you prove who's voting. It's much easier to write smart contracts that buy people's votes if they can if they do it with a digital signature on a public blockchain than if they're counted in a paper ballot. Um, so depending on the, uh, so privacy is useful for accountability, which sounds like a good thing, but it's also a downside because it means that you can more easily coerce the system. Um, transparency can improve the legitimacy of a governance process institution. It can degrade it. 
It depends on what's being seen by who, you know, like, do you, and I think that like, let's say, for example, let's talk about politics, because politics is a big part of governance. Should all of the political conversations that we have be public? I think people will pretty immediately see that no. Should the votes of the legislature be public? People feel a little more strongly that yes. So I think it really depends. And I think that like different parts of the governance like system are going to require different privacy for the participants because of their adversarial settings and because of the fact that they have political opponents that are going to put pressure on them. And so they have to do, you know, practical political organization. And sometimes you don't want to share your opinion also because it's, it's embarrassing and or uninformed and you know like having to t- t- share every dumb question you've asked is like i mean i, I, I mean i certainly don't want to do that uh and so i, I think radical transparency uh, usually doesn't sufficiently well account for the adversarial context i think some transparency uh i mean is necessary for explainability and people love explainability and it's really important that we can explain the governance decision um but I don't think there's a simple answer. And furthermore, I think that actually it's there's there's let me just say that there's this argument that on-chain governance is more transparent. And I think that like in some way that seems true because it's published on the censorship resistant network and everyone gets to see it. Um, But we like, if we just need, if we need to broadcast stuff, like we're quite good at broadcasting stuff. Usually, uh, the transparency isn't around people not being willing to broadcast stuff, or sorry, not being able to broadcast stuff. It's more about the like the the question of whether or not that that's the decision that we've made. So I think that you know we, you could be transparent off chain. Is what I'm saying. It's really possible if, um, that's, if that's the decision. So I'll just counter that with I um, I disagree completely. I think everything. Uh, uh, certainly with the last point. Um, I think. Um, I think you're right in terms of the maybe the first point. I think there's some some uh, reason there that, to think that you know um, knowing the identities of the voters is um, a complicated question. It has advantages and disadvantages. It's probably important to know the identities of the voters when those voters are um, uh, are delegates. So if you're voting for a council or a board of directors or some some kind of delegated body that is voting on behalf of its um, uh, of its, you know, um, other nominators, other more pluralistic nominators, then uh, it's very important to know which door they walked through because, you know, as a as a nom- as someone who nominated them, um, you need to know that they're voting um, in your uh, uh, in your favour, so to speak. However, I think it's a no brainer that in terms of the process and in terms of the execution of that process, so both the process itself. And, and its execution um, for making the decision that should absolutely be transparent and whatever means necessary should be used in order to make it transparent. Now, um, we have a really good invention for making processes uh, well-defined. It's called computers. And we have a really good way of making sure that those processes are followed exactly, and it's called running it on a computer. So I think that um, given that we have this uh, massive uh, world computer, 
called you know smart contracts ethereum the blockchain whatever you want to uh, whatever name you want to give it uh, we should be using this in order to uh, make sure that our processes are transparent and that they are executed transparently i mean if we if we had processes that we could encode in software that we agreed on you know then i'd be much closer to agreeing with you but the thing is that like we don't have processes that we can encode in software that we agree on that we use for governance we have informal processes where and where like you know the decisions are made through lots of you know discussion and forums that i don't think i would be comfortable putting in a smart contract okay like, would you put the eeps process in a smart contract sure. in ethereum sure I mean, I, I mean, don't I kind I, of that, did. I wrote the yellow paper um, uh, council smart contract, which pretty much did exactly that. I think it's great to have processes written up in non-negotiable ways and executed correctly. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that fewer people will use it than people use GitHub and use the EAPS today. And I think, I think yeah, that's just a UI issue. You just do a good UI to the pro- to, to this to interacting with it. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, 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 I wonder though, if more generally we're going to be able to do a lot of the governance stuff on chain, because I just think that this smart contract stack is immature and has access to less IO than is available on the internet or to humans. Okay. So if we're talking practicalities, like in principle, it's a great idea. We just need to be able to build it. Sure. But you know, that's, that's our job as builders. Like I'm, I'm busy on this case. So, um, I, I, but if the, if, if we agree that, um, yes, processes should be placed on chain and should be executed transparently, then, uh, uh it's just the case of getting the software up to the a stack that's mature enough to be able to do this. And then I owe and oracles and all the rest of it that are, that are, are deployed yeah. and trusted and, um, you know, um, there you go. So, so now we talk about, so, so, so as soon as you had bro roped in the IO and the oracles and the rest of it, I agreed. But before that, I was kind of disagreeing because I don't see the stack as including the dispute resolution and the IO and that, that kind of more I see as like trust and human, more like human layer as opposed, which is le- less automated. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly up for um, implementing um, sophisticated processes that operate transparently. Um, with and are well defined with oracles with whatever requirements that you need to actually execute those processes and okay. if it includes oracles absolutely like sure. as the oracles need to be done yeah but then, a, but then a, there's going to be decisions as to what values go into those oracles that happen off chain and aren't going to be yeah but it, it's all about moving it to the to the edges of the graph right so the oracles provide the data in at the edges of the graph sure. what you want to do is automate and make transparent as much of that as possible and just because you don't have the oracles in place doesn't mean that you can't yeah. I mean, start on the automation I mean, and transparency. I, I think automation and transparency are a great thing when we know how to automate things well. I think what I'm concerned about is that we will choose something that we can automate that's like much worse than a less automated solution that we have now or that a less automated solution that we can come up with. I'm concerned that we're going to push the automation thing to a point where we're going to have it, do things that we don't intend an automated way, making decisions that we don't agree with and aren't happy with. Um, and so, so, you know, if I, if I believed that we could run a, write a program for governance, if I believe that like there was a governance process that like I could write down in a computer program that we should follow, that was like a thing. If I thought that was possible, I think I, I, might, I would, I would be on the same page, but I really question that. I really wonder whether governance can ever be done with a process in like computer science terms um i think it's a social thing right i think people need to talk to each other i think do politics and 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 have 
you know, this kind of multi-stakeholder, like scenario, like 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 governance uh, regime where people who are very much not programs are represented. So I absolutely agree that there should be communication between participants. Um, I just think that the means of making a decision should be clear and transparent mm. and transparently executed. So no, but but don't you think that people will make a decision? anyways through this extra protocol political public debate process and then just push or maybe private debate maybe it'll be in a telegram channel together mm -hmm. and then they'll like push the decision through the public mechanism so like the decision will actually happen in closed doors or in public outside of the mechanism that is programmed to make the decision well this is and then you push the decision through right? this that's is a like, bit esoteric now right i mean no but that's realistically that's also how, how the government that's, often works well, that's how the vote that's how voting like, usually always works no one yeah. actually that's makes exactly. a decision yeah of course like the blockchain doesn't like make the, the, where the decision is made is a purely philosophical point the point the critical thing is what enacts the decision and what factors lead up to that enactment. Right. And are those, is that enactment and the factors that lead up to it transparent or not? Okay, but the, but the, but the, the, and the transparency of the enactment and the transparency of the decision are two completely different things. And we were talking a bit about this as if we're talking about the transparency of the decision the whole time. Um, so I, I would say enactment and decision should be the same thing. But critically, it doesn't matter whether I decide to vote for or against some contentious hard fork um, at home in bed while I'm just thinking on my own, while I'm reading an article, when I'm chatting to you, when I'm um, in a telegram channel with private... It's irrelevant what, what, what chemical processes go on my brain. The critical thing is the thing that leads to the change or lack thereof should be well documented at the point when it leaves the person's brain. Okay, or but, from but, the but, point but, that but it not, leaves not the only should brain. it be well documented, but, it, but there should be like a single one that everyone sees. It should be like a well documented singleton process. Sure, is what you're saying. A transparently executed, well understood, well defined, strictly defined process that everybody can check and make sure was indeed enacted correctly. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, called consensus. We've been doing no, it a lot I mean, in the we, last we, five we do, ten years. Can we do consensus <laughs> without formal, unique. A decision-making processes that we all agree on we need to wrap up here because we're already over time and i'm not sure we can actually get this under an hour but we'll we'll see where it ends up you could definitely it, cut, cut stuff, it's right? been a very interesting talk and sitting here listening to this i wish it could go on for much longer it sounds like we're in Rough consensus, uh, pun intended. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, but also, like, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't say that. It sounds like there. I mean, there is some 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 things that we can agree on, and and like we need the to build more is is like one conclusion that i drew from this like you're saying the tools we have the processes that we have are nascent um we need to improve both the processes uh make sure that we encode them actually and like try to work towards something that is more transparent i think we all want that but then like you said the tools are also nascent so we need to get off our asses and actually write code but like you know don't adopt the process just because you can encode it you know, it's oftentimes easier to go with a program that you can write than one that you have to think about for a bunch of time before you write it. Um, you know, and so I think like it's really easy to jump to the jump the punch. So I, I think that um, what I took from the last paragraph uh, of this little uh, chapter was that um, we could probably agree that um, uh, with sufficiently good. Uh, tools and software, then it's perfectly fine to have 
um, governance process on-chain. Um, we may not have a particularly mature software stack right now. Um, we may not have um, a perfect um, process, process for government uh, for governance. But um, I think the main disagreement. I don't think there's a disagreement on the end goal. Um, I think the main disagreement that I see is at what point um, of development of software stack, oracles, ecosystem, and process um, is good enough to move from this nebulous, hand-wavy, ill-defined, and often defaulting to inaction, um, lack of government governance, I would say, um, to a an on-chain um, process that's yeah. well-defined. I totally agree, but I think there's one more thing that we disagree on, which is how much is possible with the tech stack, even if it were to be fully fleshed out. Like I, I, even if we were the tech stack would be perfect, I bet my estimation of what we could do with it for governance and for these, you know, what I see as like social issues is like you know probably more conservative. So with that, thank you guys so much for sitting down with us and having this chat. Uh, thank you for having <laughs> us here. Yeah, thanks so much. It was fun. And to, to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.